why do we have to figure out by ourselves that um, we have safety and flourishing places all, all around yeah, us. Right. It's been a, a journey of creating different spaces that were, we're not home, I'm not home. I'm not saying that we're creating the home that people need to go to. I ultimately believe that's with God, mm. not just in heaven, but here on earth, but those places. More and more we can meet people on the road and point them in that homeward direction because it's a ongoing journey for the rest of our lives. We can still create that sense of home and allow others to be pointed in the right direction. We can't give them the destination, but to say, hey, there's a direction that we can walk alongside you mm. for. But yeah, creating spaces of safety and flourishing. Hello and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from the Mission Enhancement Team, and we hope this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith, wherever you are right now. Here comes another Soul Food story. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Soul Food Podcast. We're excited to introduce today's guest, Phil Dalawan, who is a human being. That's a title he's used himself. He describes his why as empowering people homewards so people can feel comfortable with themselves, others, and something more. That something is sometimes being named as God. He's currently the Associate Director Information for Mission with the LaSallean Mission Council, a work of the Del Sol brothers and their lay partners. Previously, he worked with World Vision and Mars, as in the company known for producing Mars bars and other fast-moving consumer goods. Uh, and he's a married man, a twin, a fellow migrant from the Philippines, and I've had the pleasure of knowing Phil since the early 2000s where, as a couple of young blokes, we attended different schools but gathered at something that was known as a youth camp. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. Um, super excited as you reminded me of our bit of a journey together. Uh, I reference that people can't see this, but we definitely have different hairstyles to uh, when we first met. I'm pretty sure Donnie had an, what they would call an emo uh, hairstyle. That's right, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> We definitely were Filipino and blacked out and playing basketball, having dreams of the NBA, but um, right. we were vertically challenged, so we never got there. And here we are working for the church. <laughs> um, now, Phil, you're on the Soul Food Podcast. We like to start off uh, each of the episodes with a food story that lets our audience in on a bit of your story. So what's a food or a dish uh, or a memory about food that describes a bit of you? Well, there's uh, lots of different types of food. Um, I might... Uh, go through and have three mixed analogies and if oh, you're we go. going to be there as well. But I think the first one that came to mind was uh, fried rice okay, or anything fried from the night before growing up in a big Filipino household where there's five mouths to feed. And my, my dad, Juan, the one and only is the main chef. Um, yep. And with five hungry mouths of five kids in six years. So my parents were very uh, dutiful in their Catholic duty. Mm. Um, they um, had to feed us. And so whatever was in the fried rice actually changed depending on what the mm. leftovers were the the night before. So, oh, um, yes, yeah, so I think that's a little bit about me in terms of um, adaptable, seeing what is there and making the most of it. Yep. Um, and I think most things fried in a wok are going to taste delicious. Um, mm. Not that I've tasted myself, but um, if we share food, it will hopefully be delicious. I guess another food journey and has been this sense is... Um, especially with a bunch of different friends, even just last night, um, having lots of Mexican food. And there was um, lots of different bowls with uh, corn, mm. meat, there's vegan cheese and normal cheese, and there was tomatoes and uh, refried beans and all of these kind of things. Um, and the comment last night was that uh, Sachin, who was there, loves uh, Mexican food because it's kind of make your own kind of journey. Mm. You can pick the ingredients that you like and even every bite can be completely different to the next. Yep. Um, which kind of riffs off to the third analogy is a sense of potluck. Um, 
that if you've ever had a potluck meal, which I think is more American, but um, <laughs> bring your own plate, which I think as immigrant parents wasn't just bringing a blank plate, but bringing some food to yep. share. Yep. And I think that's a, a food journey that kind of, um, if you mangle them all together, is that people bring what they want. I bring mm. different experiences and people I meet and the different food cuisines and then put it on the table and see how they work um, as well. So I think in a random about way that that's probably um, something that describes me in terms of all the different foods coming mm. together um, and happy to try everything at least twice. Yeah, so, yeah, how um, good, how good. Yeah. I have to say that, uh, you know, knowing you over the years, being adaptable is a thing that has stood out for me. Uh, depending on what environment you're in, I feel like you throw yourself into it. And mm. that's just something that I, I admire as part of your qualities. Uh, speaking of interesting uh, pieces, you put your why, the why that I read out in your introduction, publicly on LinkedIn. Now, not many people would do that. And so I just wanted to ponder that with you a bit more. How did you come up with that why? And you know, what are some of the meaningful moments that led you to coming up with that particular expression? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny because I posted on LinkedIn a long time ago, uh, but I'm sure as you reminded me this morning, it's good to have people that can remind you of what your why is. <laughs> That's why I put it out there publicly is that sense of uh, journeying homeward um, and that whole concept of home. Um, mm. And hopefully, at least for a bunch of friends and I, is that home is a place of safety and flourishing. Um, and that's what really home is, knowing, acknowledging lots of our familiar homes, at least for me, was a really safe space um, mm. that I had um, a loving parents and things. But lots of people don't have that luxury of um, having a safe physical home or physical biological parents mm. or physical uh, fraternity with their brothers and sisters. So um, it's a sense of home that's safety and flourishing wherever you might find that, which might actually be outside of your normal home or your physical home. Yep. How we came to that was um, actually on a road trip with a friend, uh, Julian, driving from Sydney to Melbourne. Um, and he'd come up actually with that word homeward, but we, we played 21 questions about this word that he'd, he'd thought about and none of us got it. It took us about two hours of the trip to get through. Wow. Um, but I guess where it came from is the story of the prodigal son, um, which is both in the scriptures and in many other ancient texts of um, going away. Um, and if you haven't heard the story, basically this loving family who provides for everything, they're pretty affluent. Um, a bloke, um, wants to get off the rock, so to speak, um, in the more modern context. They've sold their uh, Vaucluse, half, his half of his uh, Vaucluse mansion so he could get a round-the-world trip to go to Europe, put the backpack on, um, and um, stay in hostels, go to big festivals, uh, meet pretty people and experiences. Um, and at some point, the money runs out. Um, mm. he's, he's pissed away the Vaucluse mansion onto, um, you know, Ibiza and uh, Eos and Eros and all those lovely Greek islands. Um, but the thing there was interesting that um, once he runs out of his money, no one is there to actually help him uh, realize that he's mm. got a safe place to be. Um, and he's actually, once he reaches that point, he's got to figure out himself that um, at the end of the nightclub, um, uh dancing the night away at the end of that night in the 6 a.m. in the morning when he's got nothing he's like well actually there's a safer place for me than than right here right now mm. and he's got to actually try and traverse his way back navigating this long arduous journey in a foreign land all by himself mm -hmm. um, and where we came through was that what direction is that person headed and it was a homeward direction mm. he was heading home um, and that kind of space was like well why do we have to figure out 
um, by ourselves that um, we have safety and flourishing places all, all around yeah, us. Right. Um, and so I guess that's that's where the that story of the why came from. And it's been a, a journey of creating different spaces that were, we're not home. I'm not home. I'm not saying that we're creating the home that people need to go to. I ultimately believe that's with God, um, mm. not just in heaven, but here on earth, but those places, but mm -hmm. more and more we can meet people on the road um, and point them in that homeward direction because it's a ongoing journey for the rest of our lives. Even when I'm 95 and yeah. also my wife is uh, also, well, not also 95, she should be 93 <laughs> at the time, but uh, we can still create that sense of home and allow others to be pointed in the right direction. Yeah. We can't point, we can't give them the destination, but to say, hey, there's a direction that we can walk alongside you mm -hmm. for. Um, but yeah, creating spaces of safety and flourishing, which yeah. ultimately people can hopefully feel that sense of home, um, not just alone. That to me, as I hear that, it's really developed language. Like it's, mm. it's something that you've processed for a while, or at least it's coming across that way for me, Phil. I wonder who has taught you a bit of that homeliness. You mentioned, you know, your mm. family upbringing, um, your, your home and what that felt like. But is there a particular story that comes to mind that is sort of your own archetype of, yes, that's what home can feel like? Yeah, well, this is the interesting sense, and maybe come back to the fried rice, is mm. that everyone's... Um, sense of that is that everyone's ingredients for what that is is different mm -hmm. um and having three other companions uh julian christian and amanda who've mm. uh vastly different areas of life and even just ourselves coming to describe what home is we came to the conclusion that no one home looks the same mm. uh christian's more of a creative um and you know a night owl where i would like to sleep be asleep at nine o'clock and get up at five in the morning yep. um and my feeling of safety and flourishing might be at the beach because I love surfing and mm. nature and being in this vast transcendent thing. Um, but others, um, especially uh, I named my friend Heidi, who's an immigrant uh, from a Chaldean um, mm. who's come to um, to Australia, yeah. doesn't know how to swim. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I feel really at home on a surfboard with dolphins and others, but she is terrified of the ocean. Mm. And that lens has meant that... Um, there is no one archetypal thing except the hallmarks are where is someone safe? Where can they actually flourish? Yep. Where can they feel confident enough to return to so that they feel empowered to then live life outside yeah, of that? Nice. And that's probably been the beauty of it, of saying we don't get, or at least I've felt that in not getting stuck on one way of practicing home. Mm -hmm. These are elements that work um, for me, but are actually now morphing and changing mm. and holding that lightly. So, Another example, one of the probably archetypal things is that we've come through is often been, especially as Catholics, coming around the table and sharing a meal. Mm. Except if you've got food allergies or if you've got <laughs> um, a different uh, background. Yeah, like a taste palate. Like a taste palate mm. or even issues of alcoholism and you're serving alcohol that you might think is hospitable can be a very different an unsafe place for someone, um, even though for myself and for the majority of people, mm. it's a normal everyday experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's, like you're saying, that developed that we've come to concept is we've tried to say, actually the lens of home opens itself to saying, where do you feel at home? As opposed mm. to this is the archetype 
have you experienced this before? Yeah, yeah, no, great yeah. calls, great calls. So uh, I suppose if there's no one, you know, type of home that, that fits everyone, so to speak, um, and also uh, that that empathy on the other person's experience mm. of what makes it home for them, what are some of the practical ways then that you exercise um, uh, the encouragement of homewardness for someone else? So, um, yeah, what are the things you try and do to make someone feel at home without necessarily knowing exactly what their shape is, um, whether that's through your work um, or among your family or people that you encounter as friends? Uh, what, what's the full version of creating home for others look like? Oh, yeah, and then that's, uh, I guess if people, for me, in terms of my version, is probably uh, the, the one word that comes to mind is relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone kind of knows this. If you if you encounter a stranger, you have to, there's a certain protocol in terms of getting to know that person. Mm. Um, and for me, I love, I feel at home, I know myself that I can ask Bigger than small chit chat questions. Um, yeah, right. Often people might um, be hit with a bigger question from myself, like you know, what's your meaning of life, or what what are the top five qualities of your partner or yep. your best friend, um, or what's been a highlight for the year or a challenge. Mm. Um, but I guess in knowing that, that's what I feel comfortable with. But being open and conscious to what's the other person's experience yep. um, is there. So I think so. It's a roundabout saying of I like to ask questions, but I also know I have to be conscious that not everyone else is comfortable in that so i think i'm probably going around but saying having first that understanding that other people's homes i don't know where they feel comfortable mm. and being open to trying to read um or being open to what feedback they're giving me mm-hmm. being it non-verbal or verbal yeah um but yeah allowing them to voice what what it is by asking a question as opposed to um uh, having some b- big assumptions there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, good so one. Definitely starting with a question is, yeah. is one of them and just knowing that um, really listening to what they're actually saying as mm. opposed to what I think they're going to say is probably something maybe I'd do more unconsciously now, but mm. not being tied to what I think they're going to say. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's a great uh, practical tip as well. How can we ask each other just big, beautiful, um, or even um, questions that stretch our imagination a bit more. So thanks, Phil. That does remind me that one of the, I think Nadia Bolsweber, who's a a great um, writer I I read a lot of, her experience is interesting, but I think it was her. It might have been someone else. Mm. But she asked, what's the more beautiful question that we can ask right here? Yeah, Yeah, great call. Great call. Now, back to your why statement. There's just one other bit. I mean, there's heaps in there because they're all loaded words. But... One that I wanted to just um, point out a bit more. You mentioned that um, this something more is sometimes called God. Um, yeah. Your reason for that particular language? Yeah, definitely. There's seven billion people in the world. Maybe there's eight. Mm. Um, we don't even all speak English. Um, so in terms of uh, coming to terms with concepts and uh, even the English language or every language is adapting and changing. Mm. Um, I know for myself... Um, there's different ways I experience God and there's different relationships. There's 8 billion people um, in the world. Mm. There's different words for our different experiences of it. And even when we say God, that um, there is um, not one image that comes to mind when everyone hears that word. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, some people feel at home with using the word God. Some might actually feel more with the Holy Spirit mm. or Jesus, mm-hmm. even though it's talking about similar things. Mm-hmm. Um some might feel more confident in other faiths of Allah. Um, and lots of people often, when they experience um, God, they just not, they might not name it as God, but there's something more mm-hmm. happening. There's a mm-hmm. sense, there's a feeling, there's a mm-hmm. um, sense of awe 
and that's often very hard to actually put your your words to mm. um, and if God's infinite and beyond um, all explanation or complete explanation because we can it's, it's always beyond us yep um, there is always something more there is also um, that sense so I think that's um, part of that of saying like my perspective I feel comfortable in the the Catholic tradition mm. growing up with uh, my parents of saying Jesus the Holy Spirit and God mm-hmm. Um but for so many others, that might be a very difficult conversation depending on your, your upbringing yeah. or your experience or your lack of experience in that. So um, for me, I've become more comfortable that I feel really at home in the Catholic setting, mm-hmm. but open to other expressions of and other ways of, of thinking of who and what God, something more, the transcendent, the yeah. divine yeah. Um, is. Yeah. Um, and knowing in our rich Catholic tradition that um, God is in the presence of everything and everywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, there's other expressions and other names and, and things that we haven't come up with. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the experience of, of God on Zoom or God in <laughs> teleportation or mm-hmm. God on space travel? Mm-hmm. Like other words are yet to be invented and to um, say that gives me a sense of uh, we don't know and will not ever know all about what mm-hmm. God is or what names we can put, but whatever's helpful for the the person on that journey yep. is probably why I come with something more. Yeah. In the academic sense, um, it's definitely not my own language, but there's um, there's uh, a great group um, called How We Gather. If you Google How We Gather, uh, look at some of their documentation. They did a big study in America, and uh, they're the people responsible for introducing something more language or mm. into um, into my vernacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, mm. great reference. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Mm. Um, just back on that, the theme of um, there's something more and diving a bit more into your story in as much as you're comfortable in sharing. Yeah. What was that something more moment that you feel was pivotal in your life? It could be one or it could be many, um, but what's one that comes to mind where you're like, oh, there is, Yeah, know, I'm in a big picture thing and I've, I've experienced this thing. What, what was that? What did that look like? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I don't know if that's a loaded question which it is um, but yeah the, definitely the first one I was definitely when you were present there Donnie yeah, we're both in year 10 or 11 mm. down at Patrician Brothers Blacktown uh, Flushcombe Road that's it shout um, out Paddy Boys that's right uh, <laughs> Paddy Boys Nagel Girls um, and um, yeah the big moment was there was definitely one of my conversion moments it's probably the very first initial one of um, in a more traditional sense seeing uh, a young youthful face of the church I hadn't seen before mm. we'd gone to everyday mass sort of thing um, and it was definitely um, the experience of Sunday mass for lots of young people there's not many people my age mm-hmm. but I definitely remember entering to a room on probably the second night because that's usually what it happens of this big um, tower of candles with um, the monstrance on top and Jesus and the, the priest saying um, whoever reaches out and touches the the hem of, of Jesus' garment, that's since in the scriptures was healed and, and could receive that power. Mm. Um, and then the priest um, going around and, and, and showing that and, and having that really big sense there of um, of reaching out for, for who God is. And, and I think that was definitely the first time I really mm. realized for myself, mm-hmm. not just knew about God, but chose for myself that this is someone I want to meet and someone I want to be. Mm. Um, and, and that really... Transformed my life. I can remember my small group leader Penny talking about some difficult topics oh, wow. that were there, and um, and it, it we changed church and joined a youth group, and um, without meeting God there, lots of other things wouldn't um, yeah happen in my life. Um, at the same time, a couple of years later in university, um, 
even though I was a youth leader after that and, and changed into different things, I just got stuck in the party life. I made a girlfriend um, the center of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a lovely girl. It wasn't her fault that I made her my one and only. But if she was happy, I was happy. If she was unhappy, I was unhappy. Mm. And I just forgot uh, who, um, who God was and what God could do. Mm-hmm. And that probably reconversion was like just saying, sitting in church and going, Oh, this used to be a home, but it's not really now. What's missing? Yeah. Um, and doing some small service activities with um, with the local group that led up to some bigger experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a bit more slow journey of just putting myself back together, remembering who I was, mm-hmm. um, as you do. And then, yeah, and then slowly f- following that small call and a small voice. Yeah, yeah. Another random thing. Um, just talking to good people, but I went away to Europe after quitting my job. Went to Taze in France, did a silent retreat, which is, as you can tell, I don't like to be quiet very often. <laughs> but doing some different things helps and have some different results. And mm. and even that um, was just an awesome experience just to sit and be. Mm. Um, and now on the regular, um, every Saturday, just going out to the beach and having a surf and knowing that that's a comforting space to yeah. be floating in, in creation and to look out and to see and... Yeah. Um, yeah, so many everyday moments, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love how that's morphed for you over time and that you can actually trace that and, and say, yes, it was fit for purpose for a particular time, but it's shifted and, and grown as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, if someone were going to uh, you know, ask you, Phil, you know, I, I don't know what it's like. Uh, to experience that something more and you know bringing all your life experiences and your yeah. you know your craft your skill your professional background into your advice for this person asking that question what would you what would you say to them i would say um think about your your life it's hopefully it's it's the life we've got what have been the most joyful moments mm. where have you felt the most connected um and, and i hope and pray that um, there's at least a couple of moments there mm-hmm. and think about what, what's actually, what about those moments made you really, um, joyful or happy or, or, or a positive experience for you. Mm. Um, and actually to, to put some perspective on that and saying, is there a pattern in your moments of life that you can piece together and saying there's common elements that, um, have actually been present in all those seemingly random moments. Mm. Um, and follow that if you're you might not have a big moment and that's often um, some of my struggles when we're, we're talking with lots of people is that they feel like there has to be a striking moment yeah like a burning bush or a car crash survival moment mm-hmm. or it's just every day you know so finding those little moments or those big moments or those things and just reflecting on your life and saying I'm in the present now, this has been my years of experience, be it 72 or 27. Mm. Take the time to get to know yourself, creatively map out your life, but where were the big joyful moments? Where were the tragic ones? But what were you still grateful for? Mm. Um, and that's the skill, I think, in terms of discovering something more um, that is probably the first step often that um, yeah. I'd say to start with. Yeah, um, right. In doing that, it's also helpful just to um, do the exercise individually, but also more importantly to find another person that you can have coffee with and say, "Hey, you you've been my closest friend, or um, or have known me a little while. Um, mm. I've thought about these questions. What do you, what have you seen in me? Because often having that um, sense of perspective from another person, you're like, oh, 
haven't seen that about myself. Yeah, right. You know, a bit do, of mirroring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They might say, "Oh, I remember seeing your light, your your face light up when mm-hmm. you know X Y Z happened." Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's know? great. Uh, when May walked into your life, for our listeners, May is uh, is my wife's name, by the way. <laughs> um, just uh, one more question before we. Uh, actually, two more before we round off our conversation. Mm. The first one, just for those who are, you know, for the first time hearing what the Lasallian Mission Council is, uh, how would you describe your day to day? What are you, what are you um, uh, achieving in work or trying to be at at work? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Ultimately, what we want is um, human flourishing. Mm. We want uh, young people and those who support young people to be have the agency in their own lives to be able to. Um, walk the path that they, they're called to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, we think about the, the scripture verses that keeps coming back as John 10, 10, life and life to the full. Mm. The whole fullness, not just happy moments, but to be able to navigate those valley moments as well. Yeah. So if, if we're summing up the mission, um, there's a mission statement, the human and Christian education of young people, especially the poor. Mm. We have, um, proud to say it says human first. Yeah. Um, before Christian, yep. we serve and provide education for all. And, the way that the LaSalle Mission has done that is through education. Yep. Um, but it continues to innovate and morph. Um, another example is that Your Town and Kids Helpline was started by the LaSalle Mission um, because it's dealing with young people and supporting them. It's educating them, not in the formal sense of just school, mm-hmm. but saying, look, kids are grappling with suicide, grappling with mental health. Mm. They need support. Um, how can we educate them to be improve their agency in their own life? Yep to do this at hope seeking and so we want human flourishing we've often do, done that through education yep but whatever serves the the young people and they're flourishing themselves that's that's the business that we're in yeah. um, and often the best way to do that is to support those who are the frontline workers with um right with the with the young people yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so dillis is the patron saint of teachers yeah, um, okay. anyone that deals with young people that i'd classify them as a teacher be it a parent grandparent um, brother or sister so yeah yep. yeah what would you say is the most fulfilling uh part of your role what what keeps you um joyful as you wake up to it each day people um and that's where sometimes when you're doing the compliance or you're doing uh the programming stuff um it's the people like mm. uh we, we was at a school in perth last week and it was before all the kids had rocked up um and you're sitting with there with all the teachers and we asked them yep what's missing um, and in the same sense, the the mission statement, the human Christian education of young people, especially the poor. Yeah. What's the Donnie? What do you think the most important word is in that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't want to cheat and say human as well, but there's something of poor that connects with me. Um, yep. Yeah, the ones who are left behind or feel left behind. Yep. Yeah. And even in that answer, and this is where there's probably two I was looking for, which is humans. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not just human, yeah. but young people. Schools, yeah. our work doesn't make sense unless there's actual young people or mm. younger people there or just people. Um, Poor is a specific section of people, yeah. but, yeah. you know, without the church doesn't make sense without people, mm. you know. Um, nothing makes sense without people, mm. you know. Um, so that's the most fulfilling part. Um, I guess to be more specific is to um, give permission that, to two people that they can own what it means to be a faith-filled person. Yeah. Um, provide them with a different example and to allow them to figure it out yep. as opposed to, like we do with all education, good education helps them um, have the tools rather than here's the answer. Mm. Um, and 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 hopefully they can they can take it or leave it. We mm. invite them on the journey and they can decide for themselves where they need to go. That's so. it. So it's invitational yeah. and it's like that fishing yeah. analogy. 
yeah. teach people how to fish. Yeah. I, I'll add another analogy in there. Um, <laughs> is like uh, we like to build people's internal compass. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're adding. Um, and there's no one way of doing that. But here's some different tools that they can pick up and learn and use. Yep. But throw away what's not useful. So yeah. yeah. Uh, final question. So you're a newbie in a parish. You've just visited this parish. What do you hope your experience of um, that parish is as a newcomer? Mm. Um, and uh, if you were to flip it, if you met some newcomers, what would you hope their experience of you is as part of that parish? Yeah, if I was a newcomer, this is really interesting because I have been a newcomer in a recent parish. If I was a newcomer to a recent parish, and I think I've gone to one of the better parishes, mm. immediately... I just my Catholic upbringing I've already just thought about the Sunday experience which is going to a mass and, yep. and doing that yep. but I wish if I was a newcomer and I was designing the whole thing again that if anyone came new to the parish that the first meal after maybe walking to the, the, the church doors was that someone in the parish um, or a team of people actually invited me to a meal to me and my family to a meal at their home mm. or things not just the afternoon tea right after but someone to genuinely say hello, to notice and say, let's let's grab a bite to eat somewhere else or at my house and yep. and, and welcome welcome to this place. Let's make this regular. So, yeah, um, yeah maybe because you started It's a Soul Food podcast, but if we, if I had that, that would be, that'd be a game changer for me of saying, look, oh, even if I had to say, let's reschedule things, are, mm. it sparks the question, why is this person so friendly to invite me into their home and yes. offer me actual food? Yeah. Um, which is... Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, the impact of that intentionality, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you probably have answered it already, but if you're on the other side, is that the thing you do or um, for a newcomer or what, what What else would you offer for a newcomer? Yeah, look, I, I need to practice what I preach. Um, in, in moving into a new place in um, Oran Park, I, feel st- I, I don't feel like I've um, uh, been able to do that yet because I feel like I'm still the newcomer in that sense. Mm. Um, but that's aspirational, I guess, in, in that sense of... Yeah. Of that, yeah. Randomly, only because we we're talking about last night over the table is um, having that mindset that it's not just at the church because most people at the church are already probably pretty close to God, others, mm. but other people in your own life. Um, so, random example, um, and it was this is exactly what I did, um, and it was an interesting challenge of reading the scriptures. I was reading um, some of the. Um, just the Pentecost kind of stories, you know, or Acts of the Apostles mm-hmm. at the time. I went to pick up a mate. It was middle of the clock in Campbelltown. Um, all like, it's kind of like Mount Druid if you haven't been. Um, so you do, kind of don't want to hang around too mm-hmm. late at night. But mm-hmm. one of my mates from the Northern Territory was um, caught a plane and was coming there. So I was picking him up. It was Sydney time. There was lots of rain. It was pretty um, It was pretty crazy looking. So we prepared for this guest. Um but it was where the water had wreaked havoc on train systems and other things like that. So yeah. I got out of the car, I brought an umbrella with me, and I was waiting for my mate to, to rock up, like middle of the night at Camertown Station. Um, there was this uh, orange-haired guy in glasses who'd obviously finished work, and I, I could overhear his um, conversation with the station manager saying the place that he wanted to go um, they cancelled the trains and they mm-hmm. didn't know if a bus was coming mm-hmm. but he could stay in the, um, the undercover of Campbelltown Station for a period of time yeah, in wow. the office um, it's a bit rough yeah yeah so I was like uh, I've heard this like I have good I, I, was, I was definitely eavesdropping 
Um, but then, you know, and he was charging his phone from the roof PowerPoint somehow because that's <laughs> okay. where he needed to go. It was fully weird. Yep. Um, he seemed like um, a little bit of a disheveled bloke. But thinking through, I was like, okay, what am I meant to do here? I've heard this. I'm waiting for a friend. Look, I've recently um, got a spare bedroom in the house and, mm. and things like that. And Melissa, my wife, was at home. And just going, well, I just struck up and said, hey, do you need a lift anywhere? Do you need to go home? He's like, oh, where do you live? It's like 40 minutes away. Mm. But I, I offered him, I said, oh, look, we've got a spare room. If you, his name was Liam in the end. Um, if you want to come, like I'm waiting for a mate, you want to come over and sleep over or I can drive you home to your place. Yep. Um, I, I was like, I was kind of backtracking when I said, after I said, hey, do you want to sleep over? And he's like, oh yeah, possibly. I think I could do that. It's like, oh, do you want to lift home? He's like, because lifting home would be easier to just lift him home than yep. done dusted. Yep. Um, he's like, no, I'd actually I prefer to stay at your house because the next day I've got work and I don't know if it, the buses and stuff are working as yep. well. Yep. I hadn't cleared this with my wife. Um, <laughs> okay. And yeah, Melissa tells the story of going, um, what, like I came, like Phil was like taking his time at the station. like, it's not that far to campus. And why is he taking so long? And then I came, I went for one person and came back with two. <laughs> And she was in bed already, and I said, "Oh, Melissa, don't be alarmed, but there's a random guy in the spare room, um, and the other guy was on the couch. Yep, yep. Don't be alarmed." And she's like, "Lock the doors, um, <laughs> right? Because you're in your home." And and yeah, so then Liam, who um, I felt bad because I said I thought we had a blow up mattress, but it was at my parents' house. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I found these other things and put them on the ground and all this other stuff and. It was risky for Liam too. He's yeah. he's a stranger offering you yeah. a home, but saying, "Okay, I'll d- do this." Um, but it was really it was really nice and touching in that sense. He he went he went back to work at Rache's. We had breakfast in the morning mm. with my other mate uh, Liam, Melissa, and myself, and mm. um, and then dropped him off in the morning. And mm. it was weird and random, but that same sense of taking the risk or at yeah. least inviting. Yeah, um, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. So it was in the parish and it doesn't happen very often, but I think noticing and seeing that, um, taking the moment, I think, I don't know about you, but I definitely notice people who are maybe in an airport or on a slightest street mm. who have gone through something difficult or they're crying or something, but not just walking past and, hey, are you okay? And half the time they're like, no, I'm fine. It's mm. okay, whatever. And then you can move on. But mm. other times they... I don't know. Might take you up on it, and then it was it was a challenge because like, oh, I've just read these scriptures. This is what things are happening. Yeah. But what do I do? And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I appreciate you leaning into that process as yeah. well. And um, you know, the other thing I, I personally take away from that story in your sharing, um, and even the stuff you shared before, that's your particular way of making home for other people. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if I were to retell that story to May, who also happens to know you really well, she'd say, yeah, that's a that's a feel mm. thing to do. Um. Shout out again to Mel. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been feeling a bit of that. But, you know, that's that, that's part of the two-way risk that you named mm. there. And I think, um, yeah, the, the appreciation of the fact that um, it wasn't just you taking the risk, but this other person trusting you as well. Yeah. And so I think yeah. there are there are lessons definitely there yeah. for us and our listeners to be able to, to pick up and draw on as well. What's the shape or your version of what Phil shared with this, this stranger in his life? What's your yeah. way of doing that too? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I share as well, like in, in terms of the, the table conversation last night was like, even for Melissa and uh, another person there, um, saying they wouldn't feel comfortable doing that mm. because of, you know, even the the weighing up of risks. Um, mm-hmm. But I share that story at Campbelltown Station because um, hopefully 
um, the parish that you're in or the community center you're in is a little bit, um, you can have some sense of goodwill there. That yeah. The person there isn't so much a stranger, but another fellow person that yep. um, is in the community that um, is present there and there's more uh, time to actually open those conversations. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah. like people might be... Um, already onto this like it's pretty intuitive but research has come out to say that we're pretty impressionable by what we see and how we act and, and treat other people and so that example you gave of you being able to trust the process and invite the stranger in um i think that's just an example of of charitable witness that you know um adds to the mix of how you can approach unknown situations so you know for that you know thank you for sharing it on the soul food podcast and as a whole thanks for your time here today i totally appreciate um, your stories that you've shared and also just your, your lifelong friendship. So thanks for being here. I appreciate it, Donny. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or on your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by the Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Mm-hmm.